So here, here's my question, though. Here, I mean, speaking of basketball, speaking of these things, think about right now in, in your life, what was the best seat you ever had? Like, what was the best seat? Like, maybe it was a, a, an experience, maybe it was a concert, maybe it was a, it was a game, maybe it was on an airplane, you just got upgraded or something. Like, what was the best seat you ever had? For me, I, I still remember it was when I was a kid, uh, my dad and I, we went to a heat game. I grew up in South Florida, and we went to a Miami heat game, and uh, we normally always sat in the very high seats, like just, just on us, pastor salary, like we were up there. And it was just kind of like, hey, look, everybody looks really small. Like it was, it was tough. It was fun to be there, but it wasn't that awesome. I remember one time going, my dad didn't tell me what was going on. And we go in a different entrance. And I'm going, hey, what's going on here? And we go down. Somebody in our, in our church had given us tickets and we didn't know where they were. And we keep walking down and we keep walking down. We're like, wait, this is way too far. We go to a guy, we're like, hey, is this right? And he goes, yep, keep going, keep going. We were literally right behind the front row. We were sitting at the court right behind the front row. You got to realize for a kid, I was like 10, 11 years old. When you see people that are actually seven feet tall in person, like it's crazy. Like you feel like a very small individual and then watching them play. And then my dad constantly reminding me that even though they use those words during the game, I didn't have to use those words during the game. But it was just cool watching that game and really feeling like you're in the middle of what was happening. Now, think about this for a second. What was the worst seat you ever had? I think for a lot of us, it's, it's the same. It's an airplane, right? I mean, maybe not for some of you, but being a taller individual, like airplanes always are awful. And I still remember we, we got on a flight from Miami. We're going on a mission trip. The, the flight was about six hours. And where they sat me, they sat me at the uh, right in front of the bulkhead, which means I, the, the back of the plane was right here and I couldn't go backwards in my seat. Not only that was the, uh, the seats were very small and I literally had to sit with my legs straight out like this underneath the seat. I couldn't fit like this. And so I'm sitting like this with my legs underneath the seat. I'm going, this is great for six hours. And then the lady in front of me who did not speak any English decides to put her chair back and then throw her coat over the top of it. And so I'm sitting there with her coat in my lap and I'm 17 and immature, not understanding what I should do there. So I just start taking the, uh, the tray and slamming it up against the back of the seat. And one of her kids saw what was going on and he told his mom what was going on, but then she put it back, but she still kept her seat back. So for six hours of a flight, my legs are straight out. I'm sitting straight up like this. And this lady is literally right here. And I feel weird. Like I'm, I feel like I'm breathing on her. Everyone else in my row is asleep. I'm awake. It was awful. It was an awful experience. But here, here's, here's what I, what I want to say. Many times in life, I think the seats that we choose, and I'm not just talking about concerts or, or games, but the seats that we choose tell us a lot about who we believe we are or what we believe we deserve. And, and so uh, let, me, let me put it this way. Let me, let me ask you th this question. Let's say you, you were going to a concert. You go online and, and you, you see the layout of all the seats. And, and if you're like me, you just go ahead and you check what the, you know, the close seats cost. And you go, yep, yeah, that's not going to happen. And then you move back and then you move back. And then you finally find an area. You're like, that fits me all right. I'm not going to feel incredibly guilty for buying these seats. And you buy them and you go there. Now, when you're sitting in that seat and you see what always happens before the concert, all of a sudden the VIP section kind of comes in and you see them and you know, they paid a large amount of money for those tickets. Now, yes, you're probably jealous, but are you bothered that somebody with more money could get a better ticket? Not really, right? There's jealousy, definitely. We, we wish like for a moment, maybe, maybe I could just walk up there. Somebody will think I'm famous. That never happens. 
Like, like maybe, or maybe like this, let's say you're going to a basketball game and you, you get the tickets and the same thing happens. You end up being a little bit further up and you look over and you see somebody in a box seat. Like you see them in their box seat, they have other food, they have all everything they're gonna do. They have TVs inside of the box seats just in case you don't wanna have to use your eyes too much and look down at the floor. You can watch the TVs. Are, are you bothered that they have more money and they get to do that? Like, not really, right? You do think about it. You're like, that'd be a cool thing to do. I remember having box seats once to a baseball game, which meant I had box seats to eat food. Um, but not that baseball is that boring. But um, I, I, I have this question for you. Let's say this. Let's say you're coming to the exchange and you find out about the exchange. You go online and you realize there, it says, under the exchange, it says, hey, to go to the exchange, you need to buy a ticket. And, and you go on to buy a ticket and you realize that where you sit in the auditorium determines the price of your seat. Like I say, if you sit up front, you, it costs a little bit more. As you sit towards the back, it costs less. If you stand up in the back, it costs less. You sit on the floor, it costs less. And you go, all right, you find your place and you buy your ticket. But then there's add-ons. Like, hey, for an extra 20 bucks, we'll pray for you. Or, hey, for an extra $100, Pastor Howell will mention you in a message. Or, or for extra this... If you saw that, would that bother you? Yes, right? Why? Why does it bother us so much when it comes to church, but with the rest of our lives, it's perfectly okay? See, what, what I want to look at today is we're, we're looking in the book of James, and we're looking at a scenario just like that that was happening back then. Where, where people were being looked at as less than and treated as less than. And, and you see the way James talks about it. And so in James 2, uh, verse 2, we'll, we'll start off here. He says this. He says, For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. This was something that naturally happened at church back then. Basically, everyone was coming. It says, if you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? I mean, this is what was happening in the church. People that had a lot of money were coming in. They're going, hey, you sit there. And then the poor people, they're saying, you can stand in the back or you can sit on the floor. And you got to understand, sitting on the floor was awful because back then people only wore sandals and they walked the same streets as all the animals. So you can imagine it's nasty, it's dirty. And they go, hey, poor people, up against the back or on the floor. And he says this, listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? And, and I'll say this, if you've ever been on a mission trip or you've ever done any sort of outreach, you find out many times that people have less, have way more faith. Many times it's because they have to. And what God says in the Bible is this, is that those that have less, that have incredible faith, they have an inheritance, they just don't have it yet. He's going, have you forgotten about that? That the idea of your wealth right now is not what matters, it's your inheritance for heaven? And he says, aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom, he promised, to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. You dishonor the poor. And probably he's thinking right now as James, he's going, hey, my mom and dad, which are what? Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph were poor. He goes, if my mom and dad came to this church, you'd put them on the floor. If my half-brother Jesus, who had no money, came to this church, you'd put him in the back up against the wall. Because you are dishonoring these people. He says, isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus? 
Christ, whose noble name you bear. So the rich people were coming into the church, taking advantage of the poor people, using them for work. And when the poor people wouldn't get the money that they were supposed to, they'd take them to court. Since those that were poor didn't have the ability to read, they couldn't do anything in court. And then on top of that, you had people with a lot of money that believed something different. They were coming into the church and using that money to get what they wanted to be said. said. And what's crazy is that sounds like such an awful thing that, that you wouldn't hear about today, but it seems like it may still happen. And when you hear about a church that would do that, that would put the, the rich people in seats and the poor people on the ground and up against the wall, does that bother you? You can answer. Yes, right? Why? And I think what naturally happens is we go, because how it shouldn't be like this. Everyone is equal. This shouldn't happen. And that's good because here's what that is. That's your God-given conscience. That thing inside of you that says that is God telling you, hey, no, we shouldn't be treating anyone different, but what is the basis for it? Like when you think about what is the basis that we believe that everyone is equal? Because if you look at it from a purely evolutionary standpoint, that's not the idea at all, Right? I mean, evolutionary standpoint is some people are going to be better, some people are going to be worse. It's survival of the fittest. You're trying to get to that next level. So the idea of taking the rich people and those that succeed and putting them in seats and the poor people in the back fits into an evolutionary idea. Then I hear people say, well, just because of religion. Well, the truth is, though, there's a big difference between Christianity and other religions. In fact, in other religions, you get what you work for, Right? It's called works. You get what you work for, but in Christianity, you get what Jesus worked for. See, there's a difference there. And when you look at different religions, you have it. You have, if you do this many works, this many prayers, go to this many places, go on this trip, or you reach this level of enlightenment, then you become something more. Deepak Chopra, who is a, who's a guy that talks about this many times, he was in a conversation with, with another re, uh, leader of Christianity. And he's talking to him. He goes, well, you just don't understand because I've reached another level of enlightenment. He goes, your belief in Christianity is just primitive. He, he goes, I've reached that because I've done these things. I, I still remember my, my, one of my best friends growing up. I had three really close friends in high school. And one of my best friends, his name was Harris, and he was Jewish. And, and I say that, he, he was very much made sure everyone knew it. Actually, when we were in middle school, I, th I think every guy did this at some point. Like, we decided we we're going to have a band, but none of us could play instruments but we saw what women did when they saw bands. So we're like, we're going to have a band. And before we learned any instruments, we're like, we should come up with a name. And Harris was the one. He goes, we should call ourselves three Christians and a Jew. And I'm like, that won't come off the right way. I understand where you're going. But I, I remember one time Harris, he goes, hey, do you want to come to the JCC in my, my, um, my synagogue with me? And I was like, yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love to see this. I'd love to see what it's like and all that. And we walked up into the JCC. And you notice very quickly, like everything has names on it. Like you buy, there's bricks with names on it. There's plaques with names on it. Every hall is named. Everything is named. And I remember he would take me into his synagogue and you would find in there the seats even. He'd go, These, this is where we sit. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, well, in, in the Jewish faith, uh, well, we don't always go all the time, but we want to go on the high holy days. And he goes, on the high holy days, it's really busy. And so we want to make sure we have a good seat. So what do they do? They buy seats, which sounds a lot like what was happening here in James. You see, religion at its basis is you get what you work for. You get what you pay for. You get what you put into it. Whether it is that next level of enlightenment or, or karma, it, it's what we earn. So I think the hard thing 
about being Christians is as Christians, we're supposed to be a part of the kingdom of God. We're, we're supposed to be set apart in that way. And the church as a whole is supposed to live in the world, but be different. And the problem is, is what we see so many times, and I think we continue to see today, is we see the church being influenced by the world instead of the church influencing the world. In James' situation, just the idea of rich and poor, we know this, that's not all it. This is, that's the situation they're dealing with right now. But we see how partiality, and I say partiality because I want to start the heart, the partiality, the, the preferences that we have start to change things. In fact, we'll say, oh, there's no way churches still look at rich people and do this for them and poor people put them aside. Yes, they do. It's called prosperity theology. Because prosperity theology says this, hey, if you really love God, if you do what God wants, then you will be healthy and you will be wealthy. And so when you see somebody that is healthy and wealthy, that means they really follow after God. But then you've seen the other side of that. You've seen people go directly against that and go, that is absolutely wrong. In fact, we think it's on the other side of the things and actually rich people are evil and poor people are good. And they believe that if you're going to be a Christian, you can't have anything. That's called poverty theology. And you see both sides of this area where some people say it's all about rich people. Some people say it's all about poor people. And so the question is, which is it? Are rich people bad or poor people bad? Well, here's what the Bible says. All of us are bad. So we're all on the same page. See, the problem is, though, it's not just this area in our life. It keeps going on over and over. And the Bible even knew that this would happen. And so Leviticus, which is in the Old Testament, 1915, it says this. It says, Do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the poor or being partial to the rich and the powerful. Always judge people fairly. Because here's what would happen. I I think even today, maybe, in, in today's perspective, many of us, we'd walk into the church that James is at. And we would see what was happening with the, the rich people. All the rich people are in the front, all the poor people in the back. And we go, you know what? We're changing everything up. All the poor people, you get to sit up front, all the rich people in the back. And is that the right response? No. But that's what we tend to do. We tend to look at the things that are happening in society. For so long, the church has been male-dominated, and we're realizing now how much women bring to the church and how important they are. And so the response many times can be, all right, now all the men to the back, all the women up front. Or, hey, the church needs to get younger. We need to to reach that next generation. Let's get all the young people up on stage. All the old people, you stay in the back. Turn down your hearing aids so we can turn up the music. Or the old people are going, no, 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 you don't understand. Young people, you don't know anything yet. You're not wise. All the old people need to be up front making sure they're teaching young people, you'll get your turn. Or just because of racism in America, you've had the dominated white versus black churches. And you can say, well, the white church has handled it the wrong way, so let's put the white people to the back. Let's put anybody else to the front. And you've got to understand where, where I'm going. This is the problem that we have so many times is that if we don't respond in the way that Jesus would, we tend to respond in the wrong way. And what we tend to do over time is we tend to be comfortable with who we are or what we believe being up front and other people being to the side. And that's the biggest problem, isn't it? In society, when we surround ourselves with just people who believe the same things we do, say the same things we do, and dress the same way we do, we miss so much of who God is. And we start to get ourselves in an echo chamber that makes us think we're right. And what happens over time is we start to become partial to a different set of people. 
Maybe it's a different education group. Maybe it's a different people from different places. Maybe a different way that they grew up. And that partiality turns into idolatry. Because we say these are good and those are bad. And the problem is when we just continue to listen to those voices, that's where you get classism and ageism and racism and nationalism and tribalism. That's where you get the worst parts of these things. And understand this. I I think so many times when we talk about prejudice, we immediately go to racism. I'm going a step before that. I'm, I'm going to the step where what starts to happen in your heart before that's even formed. The things that we're not paying attention to. And so to understand how we should go forward, we have to have some things absolutely understood. So I need you to answer true or false to this. So according to the Bible, everyone is equally made. True or false? True. That's true. According to the Bible, all of us are equally sinful. True. According to the Bible, all Christians are equally loved and equally forgiven. True. It is only through a Christian worldview that things change. The problem is we have too many Christians not living by this worldview. See, when you look in James 2.1, I, I purposely skipped the verse because it's the problem that they're dealing with. He says this. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? How can the church be the church if we show any sort of partiality? How can the church be the church? How can we be Christians if we don't live the life that God has for us? See, when we look in the Bible, so many times it references God as a father. And when we look in the Bible, we see this, that we are his kids, but God doesn't play favorites. This is important because for those of you that grew up with siblings, How damaging is it when parents play favorites? How hurtful is it when parents play play favorites? What does it lead to in that? I mean, you have jealousy, you have anger, you have violence. I mean, just start reading the book of Genesis. You see parents playing favorites and it leads to violence. So in the same way, it says we are God's children. He is our father. He doesn't play favorites. I mean, imagine what it would be like if later on in in my life, you know, we have our son Hal and we've got our foster kids and let's say we came to the table and I said all right guys um everybody show me your your report cards and they showed it to me I said all right everybody with the best report cards you get to sit next to me those of you that have bad report cards you get to go sit in the other room how awful would that be what if later on in life as they grew up they came over to my house and I said all right guys how much each of you make those of you that make a lot you get to sit next to me and those of you that don't you're at the other end of the table See, here's what's interesting. As crazy as that sounds, and as horrible as that would be for me as a father, we tend to find things, even in our daily life, where we choose to put people in a position ahead of others. See, while God doesn't play favorites, many times his kids do. And we're the ones setting the example, and that's why when you look out in society and people ask about Christianity, the idea of partiality would be a huge part of it. They would not say the church believes everyone is equal. So the question is, what do you favor? Like, what is it that you're partial to? I mean, truly thinking through it. Do you only hang out or or, or associate with people certain education levels or money levels or certain ages? 
Like, what is it that you start to prefer? And here's what we have to do constantly as Christians. We can't allow our preferences to turn into prejudices. We can't allow our preferences to become our prejudices. Because it starts off as I'm just surrounding people, myself with people like me, and it turns into those are the only people allowed around me. In fact, when they do surveys about the church, one of the biggest reasons people don't want to go to church is because they believe that Christians are partial. They don't believe that Christianity is a, is a religion of equality. Yet when we read the Bible, when we look at Jesus, that's exactly what you see. In fact, what's interesting, one of the biggest areas is, is you see the fact that women and men are equal in the sight of God. And, and you see that the most when you look at Jesus. Jesus literally broke the mold when it came to women. Jesus had conversations with women, had women follow him in ministry. The first people that, that noticed he was gone from his tomb were women. In fact, Jesus not only talked to women, but he taught women, which at that time would have been scandalous. And there was women in the early church that led ministries. There's women in the early church that financed ministries. And you see that Jesus was the first true religious leader that led people to say, hey guys, women are just as good as men. And we can look at that now and we can look how weak men have taken passages the wrong way and kept women down. But when you look at Jesus, you see the opposite. Let me just say it this way. When you look around the world and you look at countries that have yet to experience Christianity or had an outbreak of Christianity, how do they treat women? When you look at many countries in the Middle East, when you look in China, when you look in India, where, where Christianity hasn't been, how are women treated? So you have, I need you to understand, Jesus was the example of equality. He hang, hung out with the rich. He hung out with the poor. He hung out with the old. He hung out with the kids. He hung out with the sick. He hung out with the well. He, he hang, hung out with people that were getting it right. And he hang, hung out with people like one guy, literally. It's incredible. I, lo I love to have this. I mean, if you're not known as a great guy in the Bible, maybe you could be known as this. In the Bible, it says he was a notorious sinner. It's not like, oh yeah, we're all sinners. No, no, he's notorious notorious. That's a, and it's like Jesus hung out with those people. In fact, when you see the spread of Christianity, it's very interesting. See, Christianity was one of the biggest starts of education because everyone believed in Christianity. We should be able to read the Bible. Everyone should be able to read God's Word. And it's important that everyone's able to read God's Word because it's only left to a couple people. It gets distorted. And so as Christianity grew and as Christianity spread, you actually see education start. And not only when, when Jesus was at his time, only the rich people got to go to education, got to have schooling. But Christianity said everyone needs schooling because everyone needs to be able to read the Bible. And so as you see Christianity grow, even in the United States, the first institutions of education and higher learning were Christian. Why? Because they believed everyone should have an equal ability to get to know God. That's why it's always interesting to me that you see higher education now always going against God. I'm like, you wouldn't be there if we didn't start it. But at the basis of all of it, I mean, and we look at one of the, the, the hottest topics, you look at racism, at its core is incredibly unbiblical. The idea that someone, I mean, when you see it started, the idea was that someone was part human or part animal, and God goes, no, 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 they're all my image bearers. I made all of them. They are all like 
me. And what was crazy in the early church is you see so many slaves started to come to the church. And after the slaves came to the church, the masters came to the church, but the slaves, they started to follow after God. And so they went, like, went up in levels in the church. They became deacons. They became pastors. They become ahead of their masters spiritually. And all of a sudden, the church was the representation of how to change that. Because all of a sudden, when you have a person that you considered your slave leading you to God, you see them different. I mean, that's why I always talk about when we, when we look at the United States, it was founded on some Christian principles, not all. Because they had the opportunity to go, everyone's equal, and they chose not to. But where was inequality talked about the most? Where was the civil rights activism started, it was from the pulpit. I mean, when you look at Martin Luther King Jr., you see so many of the civil rights activists, their imagery and their wording comes from where? The Bible. Saying that all men are created equal, that everyone one day will be together in heaven. And you see people like MLK, you see people like even Jackie Robinson and Rosa Parks, whose Christianity pushed them forward to make sure everyone knew we were equal. See, when you look across all the worldviews that we can have, I need you to understand this. Biblical thinking is the only one that needs, leads to dignity, value, and honor for all people. It leads to dignity, value, and honor for all people. And it's the only worldview that causes us to change the way we see our neighbors, the way we see those around us, the way we see those in our church. And it causes us to understand who God is and how he made us. So I think this, I think heaven's a lot like going over to Jesus' house and we're having dinner. And Jesus sits at the head table. And so many times, here's what happens. We, we get to go, oh, who gets to sit next to Jesus? And you see in the Bibles, the disciples are even, well, actually the disciples' mom goes to Jesus and say, hey, can my kids be next to you? How awful would that be for your mom to do that? And you see them start to argue, who gets to be in the seat of honor? Who gets to sit in this place? And who gets to, to sit in that place? And, and here's what I want to tell you. The moment we start to get offline, the moment we start to go the wrong way, is the moment we start thinking about where we should sit. It's the moment we start to decide whether or not our area is a place of honor or not. And here's what I mean by that. I think it's the moment that we decide where we sit is the moment we decide who gets to sit around me. And what it says in the Bible is this, it doesn't matter where you sit. The only thing that matters is where Jesus sits. See, if, if we want to understand, if we, if we want to get this idea of partiality, if we want to get this idea of, of putting somebody um, lower than myself or raising myself up away, the main way we do that is when we focus on Jesus. Because when we focus on where Jesus is sitting, everything else comes into focus. It's the moment we focus on where I want to sit or what I want to be known for or what I deserve that we lose who Jesus is. How awful would it be to find out one day that God wanted you to bring someone to church or to talk to someone or to influence someone, but you didn't in that moment because of the partiality you had in your heart. How awful would it be one day to find out that someone outside your group didn't feel like they could be inside your group because of the way that you talked about their group? 
See, as Christians, it says there in James 2.1, it says, how will the world know that we're Christians if there's partiality in our hearts? How will the world know who we are if there's prejudice in our church? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that you are a God that just loves us this much, that loves us equally. God, I pray right now that, I know so it's so easy sometimes to, if we're not doing anything vile or awful, to see the partiality we have in our heart, to see the favoritism we have in our heart, to see uh, us choosing and picking who we associate with. God, I pray that you show that to us now. God, I pray you point that out. God, I pray that you allow us to be the light to this world that only you can be through us. God, we thank you that we just get to sit at your table. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.